unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language. But the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special edition. Somebody give the Lord a big hand clap of praise. On my left side, uh, we have a wonderful woman of God, our beloved Pastor Modesta Sweeney. Praise the Lord. Uh, we are blessed to have her in this ministry. She's been a blessing to all of us in this ministry and we thank God uh, for her so much. And ladies and gentlemen, the man in the middle, I don't need to introduce our father in the Lord, Apostle Grace Lovega, man of God. We are blessed to have you in this ministry. Now today, um, you notice we have a very unique setting. As a ministry, we felt that we needed to hear more from our man of God concerning the way of faith, how faith works. Praise the Lord. So, ladies and gentlemen, today we are going to have a Q&A asking our man of God concerning how faith works, the way of faith. Praise the Lord. Uh, I believe God is going to minister to you like never before. Praise the Lord. Now, our first question to you, Apostle Grace. Clearly, one of the things that you have said in the past and we have witnessed um, that God mandated you to teach is faith. One of the things that you have taught. And your life is a true experience and manifestation of the faith of God that works because we have seen it. Not only we as your sons, but the world has seen it. We have Bible definition of faith, but you have that and more based on your experience with God and in God. We want you to just start this Q&A by helping us understand from the basic point, what is faith or what is the mystery of faith? Thank you. Praise the Lord. We thank God for Q&A. Um, I believe more than ever before in our dispensation, the church is every other day walking away from the understanding of this concept and we have sort of substituted it with something. I've mentioned it once, some of you might not know it, we've called that thing mental ascent. We have substituted faith with mental ascent. And there are many believers across the world who are in the realm of mental ascent, but are convinced that they're living a life of faith. What is mental ascent? Our minds agree the reality is expressed in truth as God has given it and no doubt we believe in what God is able to do and we know that he can do it but we carry no experience to connect to the reality of what we believe God can do so we live a life where we believe what we cannot manifest we believe what we cannot 
relate with, we believe what we cannot um, establish or bring to expression. And so it also comes with that frustration of, but I believe. Why isn't this job coming through? But I believe. Why isn't my marriage working? But I believe. Why aren't I progressing from one level to another? They are convinced in their minds that they agree. But let's go back to this word called faith. And uh, note that we don't know that definition. Many of us who have been in the gospel sometimes know. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But allow me to touch the Greek word there, substance. Because we can't define faith without understanding this. Substance here means material. If you're going to make a cloth, you're going to make yourself a, a very nice skirt. You need the material. You might have the idea. Your mind might have the idea of the skirt you want to make. But you cannot make that skirt without the material. You understand? However, in this instance, because it's not something your physical eye can see, as deep as can be, there is a realm in the spirit where material or substance is defined even without its expression yet in the physical realm. In the simpler language, faith is the material of things hoped for. It's the reality defined in your spirit enough to see and touch the material, the substance. See, when John says that which we have touched, what did they touch? We're not talking about the physical touch of Jesus Christ. He says that which was from the beginning, First John chapter 1, verse 1, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. Now there's a difference, but the seeing of the eyes and looking upon is something there. And our hands have handled of the word of life. Verses 2, he says, For the life was manifested and we've seen it and bear witness and show unto thee that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Verses 3, That which we have, again, seen and heard, declare we unto you. But they have a witness of something they saw and touched. They touched it. The word of God became so tangible. It carried some sort of material in the spirit. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. So to define faith, you need to define spiritual material. Spiritual material. It's not enough just to know something. There is something about defining the material of the idea of what you want to manifest physically. With that, then that is faith. Substance of things hoped for. And you see how now it relates to the evidence as well. The evidence of things not seen. How do you carry the evidence without the other material? Are you following what I'm saying? How do you carry the evidence without their material? When Jesus Christ is defining the measures of faith, he spoke of how a man, even with uh, faith as little as a mustard seed, you see? He gave it some form, even though we know that it's the evidence of things not seen, the substance of things hoped for. He gave it a form and defined a mustard seed. Meaning, whether you want it or not, when it's truly faith, 
there's always some sort of substance or material that it defines in the spirit realm as you choose to believe God for a certain direction or manifestation of a thing. I don't know if that makes sense. Thank you very much, Apostle Grace. Uh, I have a question here from somebody in Ghana. His name is Daniel Makrabai. Daniel Makrabai asks, what role does grace play in the effectiveness of faith? Ah, praise the Lord. <laughs> That's a deep one. What role does faith play in the effectiveness of faith? Yes, sir. Let me give you a simple example. If you have a bag to carry and it's very heavy for you, your hands can't pull it because it's many kilograms heavier than you are. I'm talking about something you can't really carry. Okay? And then, somebody so strong comes from afar and comes to you and holds this bag for you in such a way that you don't need to apply any effort. Huh? Now follow me. And then, somebody sees you from afar. Somebody sees you a few meters away. And they see you holding something. To them, you appear like you're holding something heavy. And they see that your hands and strength can't hold that thing. Are you following me, child of God? Your hand and strength cannot hold that thing. And then they see you holding it. Yet behind it is somebody holding that thing for you. That is the mystery of grace. That is a mystery of grace. Grace makes faith effective yet effortless. Did somebody get the answer? Because, again, you can use your own human effort to pull that bag. And you move it to inches. But that's your effort. Are you following what I'm saying? You know people who say, uh, you know, I had to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G to win this. But yet they have not yet recognized the work of grace. They have not recognized that if you had understood how grace works, you would have carried this bag without your own effort. So people who know how to apply grace in their faith have working faith. They just have working faith. Why? Because it's not their effort. It's not their ability. It's not their strength. It is not their human potential. There is something that carries them. It's something about being carried by grace. Because by the time you see the victory or get to the end of a thing and you see that you have won, you will see the hand of God that held you up beyond what you were able. That is why people who understand that mystery do beyond their ability. They just do beyond their ability. That's the simplest way because I could complicate it. Huh? Faith reconciles with 
grace. They work together. If something is not of grace, then it's not of faith. It's not of faith. God has designed Romans 4.16, therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. Listen. To the end that the promise might be sure to all. That everything God has promised, if you say you're going to get a hold of and say, I receive it, it will be sure to all the seed. Not only that which is of the law, but also that which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much, Apostle Grace. Please clap. I hope you're enjoying yourselves. Now, in addition to that, I will ask you two questions because they're related. There's a one William G here. How do I hold on my faith from the conception of an idea to its realization? I often find myself giving up. That's the first question. And then the second, uh, which is from our beloved Pastor Brian. Papa, you normally speak of how some know the word in their minds and others believe in their hearts. Kindly elaborate on the difference and how does the word move from the mind to the heart? Now, the one of the hold on to faith. Let me begin with that one. How do you hold on to faith? How do you hold on to your faith? There are principles that God has given us as guarantee. As guarantee that if you apply some of these principles, it is going to be impossible for the devil to take away what you have chosen to hold on to or to receive by God. The Bible has been very clear on that. And I'm going to share a few of them for that person. Look at the principle of confession. There's one of them. You cannot believe God for one thing, but yet confess another. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 23, it says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful which called us. The word there for profession, if you read the Greek, the word there is confession. Are you following me, child of God? So the Bible says here, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. How do I hold on to the end and win when I'm supposed to have by God? Like I said recently, if you have determined to get something, speak and 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 speak. Then after speak, you speak and speak and speak and speak and speak and speak. After speaking, you speak and speak. You got the point. Holding fast the confession of your hope without wavering. You say, I am free. It doesn't matter how far you're dragged. 
once you sober up and you have one moment or two seconds to be sober, let that same word come out and say. Are you following what I'm saying? That's what they call holding fast. We have many believers today they say one thing and then tomorrow calamity hits and then the confession changes. There's one way to lay hold. The other thing which is very, very important It's what I shared recently in Mark where he says that if you ask, if you ask of anything, he says, believe that you receive. Believe that you receive and you shall have it. What is this believing? This believing is twofold. One, Create the vision, mental image of what you've received and constantly look at that only. A mental image. Imagine, let's just say you were asking for a car, a Mercedes. All right? And then you have believed that you've what? Received it you have to create the mental image of the car you have received. And after creating that mental image, what many people miss is push your soul to carry the feeling of a person who has received. Did you get what I just said? Push your soul to carry the emotions of a person who has received. For example, let's just say you believe God for a million dollars. Okay? How would you feel if you received a million dollars? Aha. Now, some of you are waiting to see that million dollars and then you... That's a person who has not received yet. A person who has received You see, you even fear. <laughs> Did you get what I just said? And they don't scream it in a sermon. They carry that feeling constant until they convince every cell in their being that they have it. Now, these feelings might fluctuate sometimes because of circumstances. How do you continue charging them up? Speaking and defining the image. Speaking and defining the image. Speaking and defining the image. That is holding on to your miracle. So it's more than just saying, oh, I have received. Believing you've received. It also comes with stirring yourself in the emotion. And that is why when you get to the place of stirring yourself in the emotion, you'll always find that you do the actions of one who has received. You do the actions of somebody who has received. In spite of the fact that many things might not be working, you set out to act. By the way, Christianity 
and I'm going to shock you. Christianity is a faith of actors. I'm not talking about Hollywood. Uh-uh. Those have fallen scripts. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1, message version. 1, 2, 3, let's go. If you are serious about living the new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. If you're serious, if you're serious that you're going to get a job, wake up tomorrow and put on clothes and put on a tie and sit in the head. I, I don't know when I'm talking to somebody. You're telling people you're going to get married, you don't even know your size of ring. You, you don't even know where gowns are bought. You don't even know, you know, honeymoon packages. Uh, you're not serious. I don't know who I'm talking to. Here, your dream car is a Mercedes Benz and you've never gone to a board. <laughs> ah, no, 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 no. Somebody shout hallelujah. I don't know who I'm communicating to. <laughs> you have never walked alone in a mirror to check <laughs> in your head. You have never imagined which hotel. Yeah. So, some of you, you're wasting time. You're, you're wasting time. <laughs> Shout hallelujah. Going to Pastor Brand's second issue. How do we shift this to the heart? How do we get faith from here to the heart? Number one, Understand what you've been given. Because where do you begin from? What's in your hands? Let me help you understand this. Because it's so, so profound. Faith lives here. And comes here. When you understand what you have been given first. Before anything else. Somebody comes and tells you, Apostle, I want to believe God for this multi-million dollar business. But... I need faith. <laughs> I don't have the faith. They are honest, but they are ignorant. You get the difference? They are honest, but they are what? They are ignorant. The Bible says, God has dealt with every man the measure of faith. This is the good news. Romans 12, 3. He says, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Do you know how many people read that portion of scripture as a measure of faith? Some people think that scripture means the other person has more faith than you, and you have less faith than him, but then he has more faith than her. So all of us have different levels of faith. No. All of us have been given the same measure of 
faith. But here is the problem. Some have grown it because it's a seed. Some have what? Grown it. And some have not what? Grown it. But everybody at the sound of my voice, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you have the measure of faith that was given to every believer who came to faith. It's important for you to know that. Otherwise, if you don't know that, you're always going to be believing from here. You're just going to be agreeing with God, not working with God. Are you following what I'm saying? Some people exercise that measure and grow it. It's like you have a physical body, okay? You go to the gym and build muscle. Eh? And then tomorrow you become stiff. And then they bring 20 kilograms to carry. And then you carry it like it's a joke. And then somebody who has not gone to the gym comes and carries that 20 and they can't get it off the ground. Both of you were born with muscle. Are you following what I'm saying? But one person used their muscle, but the other individual did not use their what? Their muscle. How do we grow our muscle? Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There's one, one way. When you learn to hear faith, every time you hear faith preacher, every time you repeat a faith someone, in the spirit realm, you're like a man in a gym pushing like that. The abundance of the heart eventually one time starts to what? Speak. Leading us to the second issue. Again, the man who has filled himself with this word huh? and continues filling themselves with that word, it starts to what? Come out. Because they are meditating on it. And one of the Greek words there for meditation is matter. Like you cannot continue beholding things in the word and thinking on those things in the word and they don't fill you up to spilling out. You just find yourself speaking forth because of the abundance of the heart. That is why you find people conflicted. They say, I believe, I believe, I believe. But then tomorrow, you find themselves saying a very negative confession. Yet they were confessing positively. Why? Because they're not speaking from the abundance of the heart. They're speaking from the mind. The word has not gone down in their inner parts. It has not gone in there to be established enough to come out as a response of what they have been filling themselves with. That is why to know that you are either leaking or you don't have so much within your spirit concerning the way of faith. Look at the times God robs you of purpose and pride. There are things God will do to rob a man of purpose and pride. For example, dreams. The Bible says dreams come in the night. He opens their ears and seals their instruction that he might rob man of purpose and pride. Purpose means, here your mind is not applied. Neither is your pride. You get into the world of dreams. And then you dream a cow chasing you. And then you start running. 
calling your sister Rebecca. Then at night you wake up or probably your, your spouse is there or something. Go, hey! I said, what happened? Yeah. The cow was chasing me. Give me some water. You understand? Then you find another one. They're in the same dream. And somehow, they don't even know where the axe appears. Are you following? But because they had lived the life of feeling themselves, the weapons of warfare just appear. And then you hear somebody say, a cow came and I got an axe. Cut it! Two people have gotten two dreams. But one is tired out of being chased. And another one has killed the cow. He's killing it now to eat. That is a difference between a weak spirit and a strong spirit. The strong spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. Are you following what I'm saying? You dream a snake biting you. Like a, then you wake up as you're dying. Then another one dreams. Even in the dream they're saying, this poison will not kill me. That's somebody whom faith has gone down. It has sunk. It has left here. There is no shortcut. You begin by feeding the head. You understand? And as you continue feeding in your spirit, out of the abundance of the heart, the Bible says the mouth speaks. Every other action, everything that follows there is as a infill. So if you're that kind of person who says, eh, today I've discovered that I've been here. Start. Just start from wherever you are. God is patient with us, by the way. And sometimes, even, by the way, let me say this, even the most full sometimes leak. So Christianity is a life of constantly patching and feeling yourself, patching and feeling yourself, patching. Yeah, you might have leaked and something came out. You just look for the hole and say, okay, this is where the problem was. You burn it and seal it and then fill again. Somebody shout hallelujah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Papa. That was so enlightening. Somebody give a mighty hand clap to Jesus for the things he's teaching us today. So um, there is Christopher Derek from Denmark. How do you differentiate vain faith from real faith that produces results? Papa, I'd like to ask that in line to another one. There is also a Seema from the USA. She asks, how do you maintain your faith when the promise of prayer result has taken too long to manifest in okay. your life? Thank you. Let me begin with that one, the first one. The Bible has spoken of feigned and unfeigned faith. Okay? And the Bible has also given us examples of Christians. What is feigned or unfeigned? We're talking about the faith sometimes that is deceptive. That's feigned faith. It's deceived faith. Like somebody seems to believe something that doesn't work. They literally look confused and deceived. Huh? But it's obvious that they have a problem upstairs. 
And I think that's the biggest problem people have with Pentecostals. Hmm? This person appears like they have faith, but it doesn't work. One year, I'm going to marry a Brazilian woman. Ten years, I'm marrying a Brazilian woman. It's okay. Thirty years, I'm marrying a Brazilian woman. It's still okay. Forty years, I'm marrying a Brazilian woman. Ninety, I am marrying a Brazilian woman. Now, we already have a problem. <laughs> what, what age will she come when you're night? Uh, not that Abraham and Sarah couldn't, eh? but let, let's understand this. Satisfy us while it's still early. Now you become 90. Let's now start believing God for babies. Fame. The Bible says now the end of the commandment. The end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith and faith. Faith and faith is a faith that deceived not the self. What is faith faith? Faith faith though, deceived faith is faith that carries no action. If you can't put some action to your faith, then it's deceived. It's deceived. The Bible says, faith without works is dead. That's one of, not only, but one of the most fundamental reasons why Christians deceive themselves constantly in the way of faith and they don't see the results of faith. If you believe, for example, that you are rich, this is your mind telling you that you are what? You're rich. But it has got to be conceived in your spirit there are things you're going to do because you know that you are rich. Let me give you an example. In my university, I read a portion of scripture that God is able. There's a grace that God can supply to you to have you all sufficient in everything that you need and that you may abound to every good work. He said God is able. He's able to make all grace abound toward you. That you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Follow that portion of scripture very clearly. God is able. You might not have it, you might not see it, but God is able to give you everything you need in this world and have you all sufficient. And beyond having everything you need in this world, the Bible says you may abound to every good work, but he has called it a grace. He's able. He's able. He's able. Now, I ask myself the question, how do I connect to the grace that makes me abound toward all sufficiency that I will never lack anything in my life? The answer was down here. For any man who believes that they are sufficiently supplied by God, they will always extend their hand to every good work. Are you 
following me. This is important. This is important. Lose anything but not this. Now, I'm talking about wealth. It meant that because I believed that I had all sufficiency, I was not lacking. That was in spite of what was available. Because our family was not very, you know, wealthy. So if I tell some of you how much money they gave me in a week, you'd be shocked. I don't think I had the luxury of spending more than 3,000 shillings a day. That's what my father would afford. So you could imagine how much you had in a week. But you have believed that. So, I promised myself that I will give on every good work. Every good work. And there was a young boy called Ron in the village, next neighbor, had father and mother, but they were very poor. So I got part of my pocket money because during that time they could pay 50, 60,000 shillings a town. I heard that the boy was lacking fees. So I took that step of faith and I said, because I believe that I have sufficiency for every good work, I started reducing my meals every week. And I remember the Lord is my witness. My roommate and I sound no. The time we got to a place where we used to eat buns and water. Because you needed to save some money for a child to go to school. I'm just giving you examples. Because some people are very quick to judge. They're very quick to judge successful people. Because I think everybody who is a success is sort of out of line. But I know many people who, even though aspire for success, they cannot sow the seeds. Some people are able to sow. That's why I tell people, never judge a sower. Never judge a sower. Because God is not limited in applying himself to a woman or a man who gives. It might not manifest next year. I started tithing when I was 15. I can't tell you that I saw money when I was 22 or 23, but there are things you teach yourself. I don't, I don't, I never, the Lord's money is his. You see what I'm saying? You forget to remind yourself and say no. But this is because I never wanted to get to a point one day of lacking anything. And anybody who has broken those principles will lack at one point. They will lack at one point. It's possible not to lack. Not everybody who is wealthy has built on principle. And if you have not built on principle, it doesn't matter how wealthy you are, it's a matter of time. It's a house of cards. It's a house of cards. One day it will fall down. It might take 30 years, it might, not, it might even leave your generation and die with your kids, but it will go because it's not principled. It has no hand that undergirds it divinely. It's your human wisdom and effort. So, back to this. This is very, very important. So, I found myself, and I remember that time there was a church that was building, and they were fundraising. Oh, sufficient for every good work. I looked at my balance. The balance there was like over, is it 500 shillings? 
But that's what I could get off and survive on a ban. You get that 500 shillings and contribute it to build a church. What can it buy? A brick? I don't know. But there's a grace that abounds toward me, I believe, to have me all sufficient. So I learned to give like a rich man. I just learned to give like a rich man. That is why it's rare for those of you who have lived with me, if you've been with me for 10 years and you're in my circle, you've eaten something from my hand. If you've been with me for 15 years and you're close to me, you must at one point in life eaten something from these hands. Might be 200 or 500 shillings, but you must have eaten something from this hand because that's the life I live. You follow what I'm saying? This is important. So, why am I applying the action? Because it's the only way I can believe in the grace that abounds to the sufficiency of all things that I will need. I'm not deceiving myself. But you are the meanest Ugandan the world has ever seen. You can't even give a hair that has fallen off your head. You can't say, okay, this has fallen, it's gone, have it. No. You even put it in your pocket. You'd rather, you understand. But you're believing God for God's best. You're deceiving yourself. Let's just say you believe in God for healing. If you believe you're healed, hmm, and you wake up and you can't move a muscle, but you can drag yourself out of bed, roll out, and crawl out of that bed and say, I am healed. That's faith that is not what? Faith. Make the step, that first step, that vindicates your confession or your faith. There was a second question here. The question was, how do you maintain your faith when the promise Action. of prayer results Action. are taken long? Speak and act, speak and act, speak and act. Uh-huh. You are asking yes, that? Pauline Mary from Colombia. How does faith reconcile with understanding the liberties of the spirit and divine purpose? Okay, I think somebody listening should actually first understand what are the liberties of the spirit. Because there's somebody in the back there saying, what are the liberties of the spirit? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of the things that were freely given to us in Christ. They were given to us in Christ of God. And that's 1 Corinthians 2.12. He says, now we have received uh-huh, not the spirit of this world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us of God. The liberties of the Spirit are defined in the things that are freely given to us by God through the person of the Holy Spirit. Mm. The Spirit of God that dwells on the earth is an expression of God's heart concerning whatever He has given to the sons of God. When you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you receive the person of the Holy Spirit, there is an activation of conscience that opens your eyes to see, should open your eyes to see, 
and connect to everything which is free in you, which is in Christ. For example, healing. Healing is free. It's the children's bread. Isn't it? Wealth. When you become born again, you, you don't get born again poor and then God makes you rich. No, the wealth is a manifestation of what you receive freely by the Spirit. So, when you ask the question of how does faith connect to the liberties of the Spirit, very simple. Faith is the way to the things free given. The Bible says by faith we have what? The success through that grace. The grace of God availed to us is by the same means through which we have access. And yet, remember the Bible says it is of faith that it might be of grace. And then grace, the Bible says, is the door by which we access all these promises. So you see, it's simply the, 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 the way to, simply the way to, nothing complicated about that. Thank you very much, Papa. There's the one here, Emolu Ambrose. He says, Papa, how can we pass faith to our children? Apostle Paul told Timothy that I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmom Lois and your mom Eunice. Wow, how do you pass faith to your children? Number one, parents who are yet to be, speak to the children not yet born. If you see how God has ordered his oracles and study them as a, as a pattern, you will see that, for example, before Mary conceived, the Father, God, was speaking of the Christ. He prophesied about him through the prophets, Isaiah and the rest. Out of the root of Jesse shall come. He was prophesying into the years ahead of the manifestation of the Christ. Now, if God needed to express such a pattern of revelation to you, he, in his infinite wisdom, showed you that I could have done it and just brought this man on. But it was expedient for the justification of many things and the aligning of many things to speak him to come and what he will do before he would come. What about you, mortal man? Why shouldn't you speak to your children before they come? For me, I started praying for my children when I was in university. Prayed for my marriage. That's why I don't have marriage issues. I fixed them long ago. And back in those days, I knew my children biological. And I knew my first child was going to be a girl. I told my wife, when we just got married, I told her, don't buy blue. 
You're wasting your time. I said, you don't even waste your time. The first one is a girl. We spoke about it long ago. I even have the name. I had that name for many years. Waiting for the woman of God to appear. Come on, somebody. But I will not tell you the things I spoke over her. Those are me and my God. One of the things to transfer things to your children, learn to speak before they are born. For those of who are born, I tell parents, of course, to pray over them. Not for only, but over them. You know there's a difference? As a guardian in the spirit, that pray for is, is a flu. That's praying for your child so they can heal a flu. Praying over them is speaking into their destiny. When they are awake, but also when they are asleep. Sometimes when your child is asleep, speak words into them. In fact, I tell parents, learn to instruct your children when they are sleeping. You'll be amazed. The child is funny, they go to sleep, you go in their ears and tell them, you are not rebellious. You cannot be rebellious. And just walk away, you'll be amazed. Because you might not instruct it when it's awake. But wait for them when they are asleep. And then of course, the Bible has told us how we have to repeat scriptures before our children. I tell parents, don't spend time with your children. Invest time in them. Every time you're with them, let them receive something from you. He says, you'll teach these things diligently unto your children and you'll talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, you speak these things. You write them on your doorposts. You write these scriptures on their beds. Write things for them to grow up hearing. You know, that's all faith being transferred. God bless you. Thank you so much. Elizabeth from uh, UAE Dubai. What is the difference between hearing by the word and hearing of the word? Or hearing the word. Actually, there is a difference. We we'll go back to Romans 10, 17. It says, So then faith cometh by hearing, comma, and hearing by the word of God. And I've, I've emphasized this once or twice before, but I'll repeat it for those of you who have not heard me explain it. That portion of scripture would have been okay to read, faith comes by hearing, comma, and by hearing the word of God. But it has said, Faith cometh by hearing, comma, and hearing by the word of God. So in Romans 10, 17, God has defined two things. Faith, how it comes, and how hearing comes. Are you following what I'm saying? Faith comes by hearing, comma, and hearing by the word of God. Why do I say faith comes by hearing? There's a different definition. Because anything that is heard with your ears can form a thought and a faith. Negatively or positively. Or grace. Faith comes by hearing. That's generic. 
whether of God or not. Somebody can tell you there are people shooting there and then you hear it and then you respond to what they have said that there are people shooting down there. It came because you had somebody say. But he goes here to say hearing or what you should say, how you should in simpler language you express this as and true hearing is by the word of God. True hearing is by the word of God. You're reading your Bible and you start to hear. Bible says in Revelation after speaking of all the churches, the seven churches, he says, let him with ears hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. Let him with ears hear. But he has written it. Who is following me? If he has written it, why are you then supposed to hear what is being said except that there's always a voice speaking behind what you read? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the secret of revelation. Revelation is the spirit that speaks behind the words you read. Thank you very much, Papa. Revelation is the voice that speaks behind the words that you read. Thank you so much, Mireille. I have a Caroline from Saudi Arabia. Why do I pray for people and they get results? But when I pray for myself, I don't see the same results. Maybe because Cairo is working by a gift. You know, you can work by a gift. Huh? You have a healing anointing, so you pray for the sick. Then you pray for yourself, and you forget that you need to apply faith. Secondly, someone can receive from you because of their faith on what's on your life. You remember Jesus healing the sick, and he says, your faith has made me whole. Maybe people have faith in Carol's prayers. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yet Carol doesn't have faith in her own. No, no, how do I know? By the time Carol says, how come my prayers don't work? The abundance of the heart has. Next question. <laughs> Thank you, Apostle. Joel Mwesuka, kindly explain the faith that worketh by love. The Bible tells us in Galatians 5, 6, that in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. The Bible says, that the eyes of the Lord look to and fro, searching through all the earth to show himself strong. God seeks to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Listen to this. This is very important. That means for God to show himself strong on your life, he just needs to find your heart perfect. If he finds your heart perfect, he will work strong. Every man mightily used of God has a distinct consecration 
in their heart. The world of people might not be able to design or understand how that consecration takes place. But I've said this before in Jeremiah, I, the Lord, search the heart and try the reins, even to give to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. It is important for you to understand this, and I've shared this many times, that your heart are the boundaries of life. The Bible says, guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. Out of it are the issues of life. Now, the word there for issues of life are boundaries. The boundaries of your life. Let me translate Proverbs 4.23 and make you understand it as it could be read. If you study right from the Hebrew, it would read like, Keep or guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it will determine the boundaries or the circumference of your influence in life. The circumference of your influence in life is according to the diligence of the heart. God cannot give you beyond your heart. You judge this person took away my sister. I would have been rich now, but I had a cousin sister. Oh, this man, he treated me bad. I should have been. Listen, the heart, this thing here, this thing God gave you can expand any realm. It can stretch any territory. The issues of life. Now, why is it important? What is a perfect heart? I've said this before. Faith, hope, and love. You might ask, what is a perfect heart? See, thank God for the New Testament because many people think, now I'm telling you to change your heart. No, that's wrong teaching. The Bible says, I will put in them a new heart. And when I put in them a new heart, I will take away the stony heart. And then he says, and I will cause them to walk in my statutes. I will cause them. I will cause them. Because they have a spirit, a new spirit within them, and a new heart. Now, it's important to understand this thing. Why? The new creature, everybody who is born again, has actually a perfect heart. By the experience of the new birth. But not everybody has agreed or yielded to its provisions, to its function. You can have a healthy heart, but you don't allow it to pump blood. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, that doesn't mean that you're asking God for a new heart. For a new uh, Testament believer, a new creature, for you, I'm not saying ask for a new heart. I'm only trying to say, allow your heart to yield to what God has designed it to function as. Now, there's three. He says, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of all of this is love. That is why when these three abound, he identifies the greatest of all these three and says, this is the thing that makes faith work. The greatest of the three. 
It's the thing that makes faith work. Now, by the faith, hope, and love, this faith can only work because of the greatest, which is love. Meaning, hope, even though not written in scripture, can only work by love. Did you get it? These three abide. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. That means faith is defined by love. Hope is defined by love. If I say that hope worketh by love, I would be right. Because the two, faith and hope, are all hinged on the deeper truth, the experience of love. Are you following what I'm saying? Look at Jesus healing the sick. The Bible tells us, he went in the villages and saw a great multitude. And Matthew 14, 14 says, he was moved with compassion and healed their sick. Why did Jesus heal the sick? He did not heal the sick because he was anointed. He did not heal the sick because he wanted to demonstrate or show that he had power. Are you following what I'm saying? So a young man once came and told me, pray for me for healing anointing. Ask this guy, why? Because I also want to heal like you. There is no love. There is no love. I bet you if that kind of person connected to that grace, they would actually spoil many, destroy many, take advantage of many, because it's not founded in love. Are we there? So, if your faith is not working, look at the foundation. You realize that there's a place of love wherewith you have not attained. There's a way of love you have not taken. Faith worketh. Faith, the Bible says, worketh by love. It begins with the revelation of God as love. And then it descends into the understanding of how God sees the world and men. Ah, ah, ah. And then he gives you the optics of seeing the world as love would see and dealing with men as God would see them. Seeing things from the eyes of God. He says, just that vision, that experience to see things the way God sees, that you see through the eyes of love, there is nowhere faith would not work. It's not possible. For example, there's somebody here, you disqualified somebody because of what they did to you or did to somebody else. That person, they will die, they will fail, you see? But God sees that person way different from the way you see them. And the fact that God has a different eye from the way you see that individual, whether you want it or not, it has a direct relationship with how your faith works. I can't answer beyond that. Thank you very much, Papa. There's a question here from Anonymous. It says, I'm a New Testament believer. Why do I have to tithe? Yet tithing is not mentioned in the New Testament. What is tithing in the place of faith? Okay. This is one of the most controversial things. I wish they didn't ask. And I promise this, that I wonder I'll give it a teaching. Because I think we need to teach about this. Some people should understand it. 
For example, look at us, teach grace, and they assume that we don't maybe have a full counsel. I had a young minister who was saying, oh, these guys are preaching grace, but they've not understood, you know, grace. And so they appeared to know grace, but without the results of grace. You know, it's dangerous to speak something that has no fruit. Eh? I'll give you an example. Get me two Christians. One who tithes and one who doesn't. And who both follow or believe in the present truth. And I'll show you one who is richer. I'll show you the richer one. Let me begin from this. There's something in scripture called the law of first measure. It's one of the distinct principles in biblical interpretation. You know, biblical interpretation is also relative because eh? it depends on the school you went to. Some people are biased on their Bible school, not necessarily the experience of understanding God. The law first mentioned teaches that where a statement or an element of a truth is mentioned in scripture, there lies the core and deeper meaning, both of the foundation and the pattern of that thing. Where was the tithe first mentioned? When you study the tithe, it's in Genesis 14. He blessed him, verses 19, and said, Blessed Abraham of the Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered thy enemies into thy hands. And he gave him tithes of all. Who gave tithes? Abraham. To who? Which priest? Melchizedek the king of Salem. Now, did Abraham exist before the law or after the law? Answer me. Did Abraham exist before the law or after the law? Before the law. Now, if Abraham existed before the law and Abraham tithe, who taught him to tithe? Did God give him a law on tithe? I think even Jacob did it. Who taught Jacob of the tenth? Are you following me, child of God? These things are older than the law. So when people say, tithe is of the law, I'm like, what? Tithe is way older than the law. Tithe did not come as a law. Law first mention shows you tithe came from a revelation of a man's spirit not a demand from a priest. Are you following what I'm saying? That doesn't mean that we emphasize just, I, I tell people when you now become a new creation being, born again, you have to look at tithe as the basic, it's your basic giving. But because we're living in a generation of people who have been deceived, manipulated, you know, twisted concerning money, I don't like even talking about money because I don't want to be misunderstood. I would rather teach, so I help that who wants to do what's right. But you've never seen me here telling you now, people of one million stand here. Oh, no, 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 no. You give, if you don't give, go home, God will provide. Because I don't want to get to a point where somebody cannot pray because they have to give. No, you come and receive. I'm more stirred and interested to give you 
than I am interested to give me. That's how I live my life. I'm a giver naturally. Even if it's not mine, I've given you the word. It will help you get a husband. I give life. The other day there was a ninja they were going to kill. His wife came and told me I was going to kill him, but I said, let me first come and talk to you. Now the man is breathing because of this man here. See? But what I'm trying to tell us here is in the New Testament, tithe is supposed to be a revelation, not a law. If it's not revealed, don't give it. Because the New Testament is an experience of revelation. Are you following what I'm saying? And it's because we are not in the dispensation of giving to receive. We've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We no longer give tithe to become rich. We give because we are. Go back to the law first mentioned. Abraham was not giving to get. He gave because he believed and carried the experience of what he had. There was a lady who came to me four years in marriage. Four, one, two, three, four, no child. I don't know why this one specifically. I cannot say that every barren woman I've prayed for, this was the reason. But I don't know also why this specific one. She told me I cannot have children. The voice of the Lord came very clearly. And God told me, tell her to tithe. Now you don't need to believe me. It wasn't your story, it's mine. And thank God she was not coming to my church, so I was not asking for her money if she went to another church. She told her, give your tithe. So I opened the scriptures for her. He says, test me and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Listen, and I read out the scripture and I said, neither shall your vine cast off her fruit before time. You will not miscarry. She took it. Two months with me. She conceived the baby boy. That boy is walking the earth. I don't know how the things of God work. I cannot always explain everything, but I can at least explain that I have fruit. Do you understand, saints? In the Old Testament, by the way, some of you who are struggling with tents, in the Old Testament, there were three types. I don't want to go there. Because if you go to Saudi Arabia, that's exactly what the sheikhs in Saudi Arabia, they do 30% and they got it from biblical text. The Al-Maktoums, 30%. Those men give 30%. They give three tithes. Some of you, I think, had one of the letter Hajis in Kampala. We also busted. He said, may I give three tithes? He was a Muslim man. They get that from Saudi Arabia. You're still dealing with it. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> Bill Gates gives 40%. Project Pledge. One of the richest men, Warren Buffett. Now you, you can't even give a piece of hair. You understand? Your hair, you'd rather keep it and then it rots in your way. Yeah. 
Do you know why I've never, I've never told a Christian ties, even when I know they don't ties? It's a revelation. It's like grace. If somebody has understood the grace message, they've understood. If somebody hasn't, they'll think we're telling people to what? To sin. You can't, there is nothing. There is, you can talk until the cows come back home. They will never get it. But I'm telling you, let me tell you, once God disciplines your spirit and kills you from the love of money and you tell God, this is your money and you put it in the basket and look away. I tell you a hundred days, look at your finances. This one, he told me, test me. The only difference is that because we have now transitioned into the new dispensation, we don't give together. I don't even want to go deeper there because some of you will not manage the things we do. Next question. Thank you, Apostle. Give the Lord a big hand clap of praise. Muhairat David, very important question. Can sin be an obstacle of faith? Yes, whatever is not done in faith is sin. You have this gift called righteousness imputed to you through faith. That gift given means that you are right before God all the time. Yes. Why? Because you didn't make yourself right. There was a person who made you right. It was on his terms that you earned righteousness. Are you following what I'm saying? Now, do you believe in that righteousness? Or you don't? Because to doubt that righteousness is already seen. That which is not done in faith is seen. To doubt that righteousness is already seen. To receive that righteousness it means that I have been forgiven sanctified by Christ. Now, let's just say you have a disease in your body but you are the righteousness of God and you believe in that righteousness. It would mean when you are praying for yourself for him, you're not going to look at the same principle to justify or disqualify your healing. You're going to look entirely on what Christ has done. Because the righteousness you've received by God covers every disqualification to get God's best. Are you following what I'm saying? Because healing is the children's bread. Are you following what I'm saying? You apply yourself through faith and by that righteousness you connect to the promise and you'll be healed. You remember when the Bible says is any sick among you? Let him go to the elders. Huh? You remember? And they shall lay hands on what? On him and raise him up. Listen, and if he have committed sin, they shall be forgiven. How are they forgiven? How are those sins forgiven? By the prayer of the righteous. Are you following what I'm saying? The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much power. Now, 
you can earn your healing by virtue of that righteousness. You see? But if you continue living the very sin that put you in that trouble, you'll find yourself again in the same one issue. And you're going to be in the same one cycle. I don't know whether I'm answering somebody. You're going to be in the same cycle. This is very, very important. And somebody can say, okay, now that I'm the righteous of God, it means I can live any way I want. That's exactly the reason why I say either you have not yet understood why he gave you that righteousness or you're not yet born again. Because nobody who is born again can say, let me continue to sin so grace should come. If you think that way, you're not yet born again. We have to lead you to Christ. We have to help you understand what salvation is. That's not ignorance. No, that's heathen. Praise the Lord. Because when the Spirit of God comes in you, how can He dwell in you and then you just want to see? It's not possible. It's not possible. I hope I've answered. Thank you very much. Um, Papa, there's a question here. Are there instances where your faith can prevail over someone's will? Maybe someone wants to be sick for long or maybe they even want to die, but you want your faith to prevail over them. That's the first phase. The second phase is, if someone highly ranked than you declares evil things, should I wait for them to come to pass? Okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Those are two questions, right? Faith prevailing over somebody else's will. It depends on how strong the person's will is. That is why for some people it's easier to raise them from the dead than to heal them when they're sick. <laughs> yeah, if somebody says I'm going to die, there is nothing you can do. Yet you might find that maybe they can die and somehow their will is subsided and then you come through and what? <laughs> and lay hands. Human will is a very powerful thing. But I think it's always dependent on uh, how strong a person's will is. By the way, some people are more strong-willed than others. Some yield easily and some don't. Even in the spirit realm, when you're praying, sometimes you feel it. Some people's spirits are hard to connect to and some people's spirits are open. You know, Some spirits are so restless. One time I made this statement and said, there are people who are so restless in the spirit that it's almost as though their will is surrendered to some other spirit. They think they're in control of themselves, but they're not. That is why I tell people one of the deepest mysteries to learn is the secret of learning to silence your spirit because you sort of sift the unnecessary channels, frequencies, vibrations, because many things come to the human spirit. Many things. You can see it through your thoughts. You can see it through your dreams. You can see it through your meditations. You can see it through the synchronicities of your world. You know, you can see it through the order of your life. Some people have sort of consecrated their spirits. They are not distracted easily. But uh, some people's spirits are so distracted. You know, like when you're dealing with a baby, child, huh? and then you're teaching them in class, A, A, B, B, huh? 
And then a fly comes. And then she goes, they come back. Huh? See, you know, some people like that in the spirit. Everything, like everything catches their attention. When your spirit is that loud and unstable, usually your will is yielded to many things. Bible says it's not in man to direct his will. It's not in man. But they have personal will. Oh yes. But they can yield it to another. It's yielded to another. So some people are dealing with some other spirits. And they think they're in charge and in control of their life. But really when you study it, they're not in control of their life. They were taken long ago. You know when the Bible speaks of people who are taken captive by him at his own will. Huh? I don't know that you've read that portion of scripture. There are people in the world who think they are sober, but they have been taken captive by the will of the devil. 2 Timothy 2.26, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. I'll give you an example. If you have your own will and you're dealing with, say, alcohol, why don't you just will now and stop? And say, now I'm going to stop drinking. They tell themselves, I'm, I'm not going back. Then you just see the legs. And there's something in there telling you, don't go kabogoza, but go amakabogoza. So if it's your will, then how is it that you don't have control over it? The truth is, some of us, our spirits are far to even understand what that means. But anyway, your second question, somebody who is ranked higher than me, if they say something, some of you have lived under the clouds of people who cursed you. Eh? They told you this, they told you never amount to anything. Well, it's true by the way in the spirit realm, if a man is ranked higher than you, they are dangerous. They are dangerous. And they can do things to destroy many things concerning your destiny. But also, it depends on how informed you are or ignorant. Are you following what I'm saying? For example, there's this beautiful portion of scripture that I read years ago when some man of God cast him. A man sent a curse. It was bigger than this field. He told people, he sat some people down and pronounced death over me and said that I would die in 2016. Because 2023... <laughs> Evidently, it didn't work. Oh, but I know someone who told they would die and they died. In fact, that person came to me and told me, that person told me I'm going to die. I told them, back on your seatbelt. And they what? They died, unfortunately. The Bible says, a causeless curse will not alight. Hey! Give me the new King James. Let's read. One, two, three, let's go. Like a fleeting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse without cause shall not arise. I don't care whether they are the most drunk people in the world. You just get Proverbs 26 verse 2 and swallow it with water. I've given you the tablets. You did nothing wrong. Somebody thinks that because they have the tongue to cast, they're going to cast you. And let me tell you this, parents. Some of you parents have innocently cast your children. 
because you have a cloud over their lives. And a child can be destroyed because of your wife. And if a child knows this, and they remember that my father cursed me for nothing, just get these tablets, drink them in water, not very cold, and just swallow. And that is what? Flushed out in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. What if it's caused? Well, he's repenting. Praise the Lord. Um, is there a difference? This is uh, John from Uganda. Is there a difference from saving faith according to Ephesians 2 verse 8? The gift of faith, 1 Corinthians 2 9. The fruit of faith, Galatians 5 22. And the faith of Christ, Galatians 2 20. I think that one is not asking, they're teaching us. There. <laughs> yes, there is a difference. Do you understand? Did you hear how the person asked it? Eh? Like, I think they read some book. So they want me to say, no, they are the same. Of course, there is a difference. Uh, but also to answer politely, oh, they are very obvious. I think what the question should have been, what has he not understood? Because if I go through every one of them, it might not give us the time to answer all of that. All right. I think let me ask this one. Joven from Hungary. How can you know when your faith is being tested by God? Or if you're going through situations due to other causes? And how can you use your faith to come out of these situations? Oh, that's a good question. As long as you're still on the earth, your faith will be tried. If you're tired of being tried, Tell us your burial grounds. As long as you're still on the earth, you're going to be tried. Jesus was tempted in all ways. I've heard Christians saying, Father, I pray that the devil never tempts me. Mama. <laughs> that prayer cannot be heard. You can pray that you overcome the tests of the enemy, but you cannot pray that you cannot be tried. You remember in the wilderness when Jesus was being tempted by the devil? The Bible says he left him for a season. After tempting Jesus, if Satan could tempt Jesus to the place of failing, and then the Bible says he departed from him for a season, meaning he was going to come back. If he can come back, on Jesus. What about you, my dear? <laughs> Nancy. <laughs> dear Nancy. Nancy. <laughs> if they came back on Jesus, what about you, dear Nancy? Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil can come next week. He can come next year. He can come in three seconds right now. The point is, you just need to know how to stand. You just need to know how to what? How to stand. Two. I have realized this, that if God wants to improve your rank, eh, your profile, tests will come. Every man that I know is mightily used of God has prepared themselves. Something will come one day and you're like, oh my God. It's not there to kill you. It's not there to destroy you. But it's just taking you to the next level and your next rank. 
The Bible says that the trial of your faith, which is more precious than of gold that perishes, that though it be tried with fire, it might be found unto praise and honor, listen, and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The trial of your faith. It's precious to God to shake you. Yeah. It's a good thing for God to say, let me mature you. You've been dealing with 200. Let's go to 200,000. The Bible says he will not try you beyond that which you are able. By the time it comes, you first celebrate. That's why men like Paul grew to a certain place where the moment these things come, they say, ah, count it all joy, brethren, when diverse trials and temptations befall you. He said, count it all by joy. Why? Because where you see failure, for them, they saw it. Next level. Change your attitude to tests and trials. Start to look at tests and trials as places of your promotion. It will change the way God works in your life. But the Bible says, but if you're tempted, let no man say when he is tempted. Eh? You see, some of you, you do bad things and you think God is testing you. Uh -uh. We're talking about those things that will find you even when you've not done anything wrong. Some of you, you were busy there eating your popcorn. And COVID came. You have not done anything to eat. Did COVID kill people? Yes. And when you defeated it, you were promoted. You know, I've thought about this. That the very thing that killed people, some people, it went through and they didn't even feel flu. Are you following what I'm saying? They didn't even feel the flu. That you passed. Congratulations. So don't say when you're tempted, God has tempted me with evil. God does not tempt with evil, neither is he tempted by evil. So he can't be the worker of evil to tempt you. You understand what I'm saying? No, 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 no. He's not the worker of evil. He's not the author of that kind of thing. God can't say, let me, you know, uh, tempt this person with evil. Let me send Satan to tempt you. That's not how God works. Likewise, like I said, some of you, you do things that are off, and then you say, I'm being tested by God. Yet it was your own madness that took you to that temptation. So you must know the difference. Um, thank you very much, Apostle. Uh, someone says, I have tried to get saved. His name is Albert. I've tried to get saved, but I have failed. My soul wants, but I just don't know why I haven't submitted. Albert, there is nobody who can try to get saved and fail. It's not possible. I think you've just not understood what salvation is. I think the issue is you have not understood what it means to be saved. But it's not possible that you know what it means, but you fail. Nobody can fail to be saved when they know what salvation is. It's not possible. Albert, what is salvation? Salvation is believing in your heart that Jesus Christ died for your sins. 
and that he was raised for your glory. And confessing with your mouth that he is Lord of your life. That is salvation. Nothing more. Now, Albert, you either believe it or you don't. When you say, I'm trained, it only means you don't believe it. If you believe it, there is no way you will not say it. And if you say it, you say it. You say it. I hope I've answered. By the way, we also need to stop putting religion around salvation. Some of you, you are complicating people's lives. You must leave the church. You must leave the Anglican church. You must. That is nonsense. Utter nonsense. The gospel of Jesus Christ is simple. He died for our sins and was raised for our glory. With the heart a man believes unto righteousness and confession is made unto salvation. If a man believes in his heart and confesses in his mouth, the little heaven cares if he stays in the Anglican church. Like, if a man hasn't confessed it, we don't care how many times you attend Fanero. When these heavens open, we leave you on the chairs, arranging chairs. When heavens open, we just arrange chairs. <laughs> One last one. Uh, there's a prim from Uganda here. According to Galatians 2.22, it says something about living by the faith of the Son of God. It says, Papa, please help me understand that statement, living by the faith. Of the sun. Beautifully, beautifully put. You remember the first uh, example I gave? Are you the one carrying the bag? Or is Jesus carrying it for you? Is he? Is it you believing? Or it's him in you? Working to believe. That's what they call the faith. Galatians says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The faith of the Son of God. Why does he use the word faith of? It means Jesus dwells in Paul's heart through faith and starts to work through Paul both to will and to do according to his good pleasure by his grace. Now, if it is Jesus in you believing for healing, that's the work of grace. It's different from you believing for healing. This is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's open our mouths and speak in other tongues for two minutes only. Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, we thank you for your presence this day. Thank you for the words that you share with us this evening. Open your mouth and receive every word that has been spoken for understanding to change your life. Speak another tongue somebody. There's somebody here you're saying, I have never spoken in tongues. Right now, God gives you the grace. He opens your mouth in the mighty name of Jesus and you're going to find that you're speaking in tongues. Open your mouth and speak to Jesus. 
Tell him, God, grow my faith. Grow my faith. Grow my faith. Tell him, God, grow my faith. 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 If you're sick in your body, I decree healing in the mighty name of Jesus. If you're bound, I decree that you are free in the mighty name of Jesus. If you're struggling with any weakness, I command it to break in the name of Jesus. If you're struggling in your marriage, I decree that God restores you today. If you're struggling in your relationship, God restores you today. If you're struggling with your children, God restores you today. If you're somebody struggling with uh, joint issues, God is delivering you today. God is changing your story. He's changing your destiny. Spirits of destruction. Go! The presence of God is here. God is changing the unchanging. We will shift all your talk tonight. And our lives cannot be the same again. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. No sense said. Come on, let's clap for Jesus. Celebrate God for what he has done for us this evening. So I want to do one thing only. If you're there and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you say today I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Let me give you an opportunity to come right now and I pray with you. Wherever you are, you say today, I want to be born again. You say today, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Repeat this up after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. I believe today that your Lord of my life change me, heal me, transform me. I thank you because from today my life is never the same again. I'm born again. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999-400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowship at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.